Survival Guide for the Zombie Apocalypse. I know it sounds like this weird sci-fi crazy thing, shouldn't be in church, but the reality is that in this series we're able to describe the real issues that we're experiencing in our spiritual lives these days. The metaphor is powerful. And if you weren't a part of last weekend when we kicked this series off, please go to northridgechurch.com and watch it. We give this thing away. You can watch it or listen to it and really encourage you to experience the beginning where we paint the metaphor so that you can dig all the way in. But I want to welcome you. If you're a guest to Northridge Church, great to have you here. And for those of you who are at Northridge Brighton, so glad that you're there. And if you're a guest, welcome to Northridge Brighton. We are one church in four locations, and it's just absolutely exciting to be able to invest God's truth into people here in the 21st century. And and as we look at this whole survival guide to the zombie apocalypse, what we're doing is we're kind of walking out of the fictional world of The Walking Dead. It's an AMC TV series about zombies, and we're showing the spiritual lessons that we can apply that can make our relationship with God more vibrant, more vital, more real and genuine. And I just want to say right on the front end, um, we are not making an official recommendation. We are not giving official support to the walking dead. This is not like Northridge Church recommendation. We're not saying that when you stand in front of Jesus, he will have wished you had watched The Walking Dead. That's, that's not our deal. But we are saying it's an extremely popular thing out there among many, and we can learn spiritual lessons from these things. And as I've been watching this series with my uh, adult children, especially my son, I have to tell you I have really drawn some spiritual lessons that have reminded me and taking, taken me deeper into what it means to have a relationship with God, how vital it is in my life. One of the things I've learned as I've watched this series is that, that if you're going to survive in the fictional world of a zombie apocalypse, then there are certain things that you just need to have that really do carry over into our spiritual lives. The, the, the first is this. If you're going to survive in a, a zombie apocalypse, you have to know where you are. I mean, you really have to know where you are. I mean, this is a very big deal. And it's not as easy as in our world. In in our world, you take out your phone and you hit the GPS app and boy, oh boy, you know exactly where you are. I mean, how many of you have ever used Google Maps, right? You can, sure, you, you can be standing there, you can like bring it down and you can see exactly where you are and the layout of the land, it's awesome. And for those of you who are, you know, younger than 20, that's, that's the only world you know. I mean, you get in a car, you put in the address, and, and some beautiful Australian gal's voice says, turn left here, you know? Turn right. Okay, I'll do it, whatever you say. You know, I mean, that's, that's how we get around. But you know, it hasn't always been like that, right? It, it hasn't. I, there were these things back in the day, along with rotary telephones, um, hooked to wires in our houses, there were these things called road maps. They were made of, and I know this was very, very bad for, you know, the ecology of our, of our planet, but they were made of paper. Can you believe this? And I'd be curious, how many of you, and I know most of you under 20 can't say yes to this, but how many of you have ever taken an entire road trip and all you had was a paper map. How many of you have ever done that? Yeah. Makes for wonderful tension in the car with the spouse, right? <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. You know, instead of some voice telling you to turn left here, it's like there's this argument, this tension. It's unbelievable. You haven't lived until you've taken a road trip with a paper map. But here's what I've learned from that as you make an application. I mean, you, I've learned... This isn't a spiritual application by any means, but the only people who are going to survive a zombie apocalypse, if it really happens, are old people, because we're the only ones that know how to read a road map. It's awesome. (laughs) You, You young people are dead meat, and we're going to treat you in that moment like you treat us in every moment. You don't care about us, do you? Okay. But anyway, so you need a road map. You need to know where you are to survive. Well... The same is true in our spiritual lives. We, if we're really going to survive in this world which 
spiritually speaking, is very much like a zombie apocalypse. It's a world of darkness. It's a world where people, though alive physically, are absolutely dead spiritually. And, and so the choices and the junk we experience in this world is so contrary to what God defines as life. If we're going to survive in this world, we need to know where we are. We, we really have to come to grips with where we are. And, and we need a roadmap, so to speak. And here's the good news. God has given us a great roadmap, one that we can absolutely count on. It never goes out of date. It always will be able to help you to know exactly where you are. Anyone care to guess what the roadmap is? The Bible. Yes, it's the Bible. And he even tells us in Psalm 119, 133, uh, the psalmist, the person who's writing this beautiful spiritual song, kind of says in prayer-like fashion, direct my footsteps, God, according to your word. He gave us his word, the Bible, so that we would have the ability to know where we are, to know where we could take the next step, to know where we're going. It's a beautiful thing, and it's a perfect roadmap for life. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. You can know where you're going, when you get off, how to get right back on. Through the scripture, so that you as a person of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is the roadmap that can help us to survive, to live, to thrive in this dark world of ours. As I watch The Walking Dead, I've learned that in a zombie apocalypse, it's not just, it's not enough just to know where you are, to have the roadmap. You've got to be able to see where you are. And I'm in The Walking Dead, I'm serious business. This A lot of bad stuff happens at night, right? I mean, it's crazy. A lot of people, it's like, so the important thing is to have a flashlight because knowing where you are, if you can't see where you are and see that next step, knowing what the next step is but not being able to see the next step can get you in all kinds of trouble. In fact, I hate to say it in church, but we are in a zombie series. And so if you don't have a flashlight, it's very likely you're going to be a meal for some zombie that night. I mean, you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you're going to get lost, you're going to get, it's just, you have to see where you are. Well, the same is true in our spiritual lives. If we're going to survive in this world that is very clearly ruled by darkness and, and ruled by those who are, though physically alive, spiritually dead, the walking dead, spiritual zombies, then, then we have to not just know where we are, we have to see where we are. We need to shine the light on our next step. And the Bible is that light. In fact, look at Psalm 119, 105. We just experienced a song built on this passage of Scripture. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. If, if we're going to survive in this world, it's not enough just to know the Bible. We actually have to shine the light of God's truth on each step we take, on each choice we make. And the reason so many of us get in so much trouble, we get bit by deception in this world, we, we get overcome by darkness, we make such bad choices, even when we know Jesus, even when we know the roadmap, is because we don't shine his light on each step we take, on each choice we make, on each direction we're pursuing. And when we don't shine the light of God's word on our lives, we're living blind And it just doesn't work. It makes a tragedy of our lives. But the the real issue in surviving the zombie apocalypse that I've seen is that it's important that you know where you're going. It's important that you know why you're going there. And it's important that you know how you're going to get there. This is really big because so many people in in these fictional stories about zombies, I mean, they're just clueless. They don't have a plan. They're just reacting impetuously. And it just, it's just very destructive. It's not good. You have to have a plan. You have to have a strategy if you're going to survive in the zombie apocalypse. And this is a really big deal because the zombies are the ones that just follow the crowd. If you've ever seen one of these fictional worlds, it's like all the zombies, they hear a noise, and so they all... You know, I mean, blindlessly following one another. They don't know where they're going, just reacting. And that's how they live their lives. And it's so worthless. They're living so below what life's supposed to be. They're the walking dead, for goodness sake. And, and yet so many 
people in this world are doing the same thing, getting up every day and just existing through the world, following the trends lines of the world, following everybody else, doing what everyone else is doing, trying to compete with everyone else, trying to be like everyone else. And no wonder God tells us that we're spiritually dead. We're, we're spiritual zombies. We're just following each person. We're living like zombies. But survivors, people who are truly alive, can't just follow blindly. They need to intentionally develop a good plan. In fact, a good plan's not good enough because a good plan means that you can still make mistakes and one mistake takes your life out. So in these worlds of the, of the zombie apocalypse, you have to have a great plan, a perfect plan, one that will never allow you to get bitten. If everyone's going to some place it's probably the wrong place. I mean, every time the storyline of one of these zombie things has a real, hey, this, this is going to be rescuous. Nope, you're going to die there. Don't go there. You need a better plan. Don't just follow the crowd. A great plan, a great strategy demands perspective. The problem with coming up with a great plan or strategy is limited perspective gives you limited opportunity to give, get a good plan going. And a great example of this, I mean, and I'm really serious about this, when I watch any movie or any television show, any form of media storytelling, I, I really try and make spiritual application. And there was this one scene in the opening season of The Walking Dead, in fact, it was the first episode and then continued in the second episode that really taught me this idea about how important it is in our spiritual lives to have a plan, to have a strategy if we're going to live well in this world, if we're going to survive. Uh, Rick Grimes is one of the primary characters in the whole story. He wakes up in the zombie world and he heads off to find his family and he finds himself in Atlanta and Atlanta is a blight. I mean, it's destroyed. I mean, buildings are falling apart. The military had come to try and rescue the city, and they had failed, and there's all kinds of military equipment, tanks, and all the way around, and the only thing left in the city, basically, are zombies. And Rick comes in, and he doesn't understand um, that he's at risk, and, and he comes in and makes some noise, and, and all of a sudden, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of zombies start caving in on him, and he's going to be taken out. He's going to lose his life. He's going to get bit. And, and so he climbs in one of these abandoned tanks downtown Atlanta, and he gets in this abandoned tank, and... and Let's be honest, he's safe in that tank. They, these zombies don't even know how to open a doorknob, let alone open the top of a tank. So he's safe in there, but, but all he can do is exist in that tank, and he's going to die in that tank. He's not going to really live in that tank. It's done. It's finished for him. It's over. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a voice comes over the tank radio, which was left on, and says, hey, buddy, if you want to live, you need to follow my directions. And Rick had no idea who this guy was, didn't know if he could trust him, but he had no other options. It was over for him, so he decided to abandon how he felt and the risk he felt and the danger he felt and listen to this guy's voice. And this guy led him step by step through all these hundreds of zombies to a place where Rick lived. He trusted him, and so he lived. It turned out this guy's name was Glenn. Not that that's important to you, but I just wanted to... At a boy, Glenn's out there. And Glenn had directed him because Glenn was on top of a building and he could see the whole panorama that Rick was experiencing. And his perspective allowed him to develop a plan and a strategy that could keep Rick safe. But the only way Rick could be safe was by trusting this one who had a perspective that he didn't have. Even when it didn't feel right, even when it felt awkward, even when it felt wrong, he had to trust him to get there and to live. And he did, and he lived. And this is exactly what our spiritual life demands. Our spiritual life demands having a great plan. The problem is, like Rick in that tank, we have no perspective. We have no clue about the next step. We, we don't know how to develop a strategy for our lives because we don't know what's coming. We don't even know what's there now. But God has designed a great plan for each and every one of us. I mean a great plan, a perfect plan. And here's the cool thing. It's unique to each and every one of us who we are and how he made us. It's unique to us and it's perfect for us. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then it says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, God's prepared each and every one of us, created each and every one of us for a particular plan 
And in the context of that plan and strategy to truly live and truly experience a life of fullness, but we all blew it by, by going our own direction, by thinking our plan was better than his. We've all sinned against him, and the wages of sin is death. And so, though physically alive, spiritually dead, we don't know God or any of his purposes for our lives, and it's a mess. But Jesus came, and he died on the cross to pay our death penalty, and then he rose again to give us his life and so in him we can live we can go from walking dead to fully alive but but we have to understand it so that we can then live his purposes and his plans again great example of someone who found this is paul we now call him saint paul or paul the apostle and in acts chapter 20 verse 24 he says but my life is worth nothing unless i use it for doing the work assigned me by the lord jesus he goes god created me with value, but I absolutely live without value unless I live as planned. And that's where most people are. We're following each other around like zombies. We're doing what everyone else is doing. We're competing with each other. We're not, we're not knowing and living God's plan for our lives. We're actually trying to live someone else's plan. And, and we're just living so far below our potential. And the truth is, we're, we're experiencing the valuelessness that comes when we're not living God's plan. Paul says, my life is worth nothing unless I use it to do the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Sadly, the majority of Christ followers, now I know many of you come to Northridge and I'm so glad you do, and you're not yet Christ followers. I'm glad you're here because becoming a Christ follower is what you need, is what you're looking for, it's what all of us need. And we're, we're literally walking dead until we experience the life of Jesus. But there are so many of us who have become Christ followers who are still living like the walking dead. We're asleep in the light. We're like zombies just following everyone else around, never finding God's unique plan for our lives and living that thing out. And, and unfortunately, many Christ followers, the majority, are living lives no differently than those who are without Christ. Just zombie-like lives, just existing. But it doesn't have to be that way. Here's what you need to know. God has designed a unique plan for each of us. We don't have to compare ourselves to each other. In fact, the minute we start comparing ourselves to each other, we start blowing it for ourselves. We, we can celebrate each other and promote each other because when you succeed, it doesn't make me not succeed because my plan's different. God's plan for me is different. And, and if I was living out your plan, I wouldn't be living the life God designed for me. He's designed for each of us a plan. And, and like that guy in The Walking Dead who was on top of the building and could see the whole perspective to help Rick develop a strategy to truly live his life. So God has the whole perspective of our lives from beginning to end. He knows every turn we need to take, every danger thing, and he has a plan for us, and his plan is perfect. So if we want to truly survive and live in this world we need to trust God's plan and there are going to be times when it doesn't feel right like with Rick he was like no this is a bad turn this is a bad thing this won't work I can't get through here this is wrong this is wrong but we have to trust God because he has a perspective on our lives that we don't have and he is going to help us make it if we trust him so what I want to do encourage you with this is the huge lesson that I've gotten for this particular weekend from the zombie deal it's that we need to Above everything else, we need to discover God's plan for our lives. Some people call it his will for our lives. We need to discover his will and we need to, we need to apply it in how we live or else we're going to be just another zombie-like person in this world. But if we want to live, we have to find it. So how do we discover God's will, his plan for our lives, his unique plan that's perfect for each of us as individuals? Well, let me just share some principles he gives. And I'm going to share them in very simple words so that you can remember them. But they are not simple at all in the impact they should have on you. The first is this. If we're going to discover his plan for our lives, if you're going to live his plan, you need to look within. You need to look within. Because you see, God has specifically shaped you for a purpose. Look at Job 10.8. Job got this, and it's why he lived a profound life. He said, God, your hands have shaped me and made me. You shaped me for a purpose. You shaped me for a plan. And if I don't live out that plan, then like Paul, I'm, I'm living without the worth that you've put in me. 
And God shaped you for a reason. And you know, you can tell a lot about why something exists by the shape it has, right? I mean, you, you, look, at a, you look at a ball and you immediately go, oh, it's made to bounce or throw or roll. I mean, it's like you can tell by design when you see a ball and it's got th- three holes in it, you go, I bet you that's for those people that like that game that no one who's alive should like anymore called bowling, right? And you go, oh, I get that. Sorry for the smackdown. But you get the idea. You, you can tell what something is for by its design. I, when you look at a car, it's got wheels. It's probably meant to roll. You look inside, it's got seats. People are probably meant to sit there. It's like, this thing's meant to transport people. You can tell by its design. Well, the same thing's true of us. When you look within and see how God shaped you, you can start telling what God's made you for. Uh, there are some things you should look at. We should look at our gifts because when God wired each and every one of us up and shaped us, he, he gave us gifts and abilities. 1 Corinthians 7, 7, each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And, and the gifts help to define our purpose, our plan. And here's the sad reality. Many of us are trying to do things in life that we're not gifted for. No wonder we're miserable. There's nothing worse than trying to do something you're not gifted for. It's impossible. God's given us special abilities, but they're all different. Your abilities are different than mine, and mine are different than yours. And so we should stop competing with each other and comparing and judging our life by what's happening in someone else's life and start realizing that we're made uniquely. And we need to start living according to that because even if it doesn't trans- transport us into riches and fame, we will be happier doing what we were created to do than we are doing something we weren't made to do. So we look within and we look at our gifts and there are a couple of ways we can look at our gifts. We can look at special abilities we've been given. You know, some are good with mechanical things while others are good with people. And it's really a bummer when someone who's really good with mechanical things has a job where they're working with people. Getting hammered in the head hurts. You know, that kind of deal. It's like... We, we should know what we're doing. Some are good at seeing possibilities and others are good at seeing problems. Both are important, but they're very different. In fact, they need to work hand in hand because the person that sees possibilities needs someone with them that sees the problems and the person that sees the problems, God only knows they need someone who sees the possibilities with them. I mean, Eeyore needs Winnie the Pooh or we don't have a good cartoon going at all, right? I mean, seriously. This is really important. Some are good at spending money, while others are good at accounting for the money spent. Usually they marry each other, and it makes for peaceful times, right? (laughs) Some are good with details, while others are good at the big picture. He shaped us for a purpose, and sadly, many of us are investing the primary part of our lives in areas we have no gifts for. Because it earns more money or because it's more accepted in this world. You know what we're doing? We're zombies just following everyone else into what they value instead of living the plan that God's given us and it's destroying us. God's given us spiritual gifts as well when we start following Jesus. Gifts of leadership and service and hospitality and faith and generosity and all on. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's in knowing the gifts he's given us by looking within and then seeking to express those gifts, whether we make a lot of money or not, where we find our true joy. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I feel it's one of the great privileges of my life that I get to pastor this church. It really is. But you need to know I haven't always pastored a church like this. I mean, the first church I pastored was a church of 18 people, and it was a really difficult situation primarily because those 18 people hated me. And that was very difficult as a pastor. And uh, didn't really work out all that well. But I, I was a pastor not because I got to be in a setting like this. I was a pastor because I knew God had shaped me to be a pastor. I knew it. You see, he, he's given me a, cu- a couple of gifts, a lot of gifts I don't have, but a couple of gifts, and two of them, leadership and communication, and I'm going to tell you that if I didn't have these two gifts of leadership and communication, this, 
this job I have would be impossible. But because he's given me these gifts, and it's he that's given these gifts, I, as long as I put people with other gifts around me, as I'm looking at the possibilities, they're, they're helping me to see the problems. As long as I don't think I can do it alone, I mean, I, I get to live in the center of what he's designed me for, as difficult a job as it is. But a lot of us don't do that. A lot of us look and say, man, I'd love to do what they're doing. I'd love to do what they're doing. I'd love to do what they're doing. But we don't understand that what they're doing is very difficult. And the only thing that makes it joyful is that they were created to do it. I, I'll never forget, I was in Naples, Florida. And, and there was a guy, just a very talented landscape guy. I mean, landscape design and artist. And, and uh, he's great. But he was going through a difficult time because uh, the economy was pitiful. And, and so he was doing all this work and he wasn't getting paid. And it's really tough to be a small business owner in tough times and people not paying you. And so what do you do when you're, when you're experiencing difficulty? Even though he had all the right gifts for that, um, he wanted to jump ship and get out of that profession because it was just difficult. Does that make sense to you? Okay. And, and so he came to me and he says, you know, I think God's calling me to leave the landscape business and do something else. And it surprised me because I knew his giftings. And, and I said, oh, that's, that's crazy. And, and I knew the difficulties and that he was probably just trying to, you know, take an exit, you know, from what God had called him to. And I said, so what, what, what do you think God's calling you to? <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, what you do looks nice. You think I only work like an hour a week, right? Show up on Sunday, get up here, you know, throw out a bunch of crap and it's done. The problem is this guy couldn't string two sentences together in a way that anyone could understand him. I mean, he could make a beautiful landscape, but when it came to a sentence, oh my gosh. And he wasn't much of a leader as was showing in his landscape business. He probably needed to hire someone to help him lead his small business, and, but he wanted to do what I did. You see, you see, we're wanting what other people have because the grass looks greener on the other side, but the truth is what we should want to be is exactly where God created us to be, and in that setting, that's where we'll find joy and peace. You have to look within to know something about how he shaped you, and it's not just your gifts, it's also your passions. Because the gifts are one thing, but your passions are going to direct your gifts. Look at what Psalm 37 forces. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you your, the desires of your heart. In other words, if you're truly walking in a genuine relationship with God, he's going to give you passions to pursue, and he's going to want those fulfilled in your life. And I, Let me do it the best way I can in your life. Let's just say someone has the gift of teaching. Okay, The gift of teaching. It's not just one thing. Because you see, the passions are going to direct where that teaching should be applied. Because you see, one person with the gift of teaching might have a real passion and desire for special needs children. And so that's where they're going to be happiest. And then another person might just have just an unbelievable passion for teaching adults and helping adults find their way. And another person might just have just unbelievable passion for teaching early elementary children and that kind of thing. And so they do it. But you know what I found growing up? I found that every one of my teachers had the gift of teaching. They just hated children. Did any of you find <laughs> that? Here's the thing. Don't do it. It'll be miserable for you, more miserable for us. All of my dysfunctions come from teachers that hated children. I mean, no, not really. Uh, most of them ended up in special hospitals because of me. That's, uh, but here's the thing. Your passions help guide you. And so look within at your gifts and then your passion. And personality plays a huge role. And you can see this biblically, Paul and Barnabas. Both great men of God, but Barnabas was more of an encourager and Paul was more of a warrior and both were needed. But hey, if I want some encouragement, I'm not going to go to Paul. You know, I, when I became a pastor, they told me I was supposed to counsel people. After I destroyed 100 people's lives, I started thinking maybe... Being a pastor means I'm supposed to get someone who can counsel to people. People call the church here all the time and say, hey, does pastor counsel? And the church has now learned to say, not anyone who wants to continue living a good life. Um, and, and so it's like we have to know our gifts and our personalities. And once we look within, if we're going to discover what God's planned for us, even though it can be uncomfortable and take us in directions we don't want because God's got the right perspective, then we need to not just look within, but we need to look back. We need to look back. Look at Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord 
determines his steps. You know, and I can know, I can know that though I've messed up a lot and I've made a lot of plans that have gone poorly, that God is still in control ultimately of my steps. Now, there's something I want to say specifically about that, but before I do, I, I just want to encourage you. This world can be very damaging. This world can be very scary, filled with tragedy and filled with trauma. And it can really mess us up. But we can really draw comfort from the fact that though man plans his course and it's usually a really, really, really messed up course, God's still determining steps. We can still count on him. I know some of you have given up on the whole deal. What you're giving up on is yourself and others, but you shouldn't give up on God because God determines our steps wisely. But the specific application here is if you're going to find what God's created you for, your unique plan, then what you do is you look back and you, you can see what in the past you've had the privilege of doing that you loved and you can see in the past what you've done and you've hated. And here's the deal. If you've hated it, it's probably not what God made you for. My, my wife doesn't love to live in a, in a house that's falling apart. She married a guy who doesn't know which of end of the hammer to hold, right? Forget anything more technical than a hammer. And, and so she just said, you've got to work on this house. You've got to work on that. And it would take me like 12 years to do something. It'd take some of you 12 minutes to do, right? And it's like, oh, it was agonizing. But you put me in front of people and have the ability to communicate important truths to them. And I start coming alive. It's like, whoa. And so you see, it helps me to realize I shouldn't build you a house. <laughs> but it's okay it's okay for me to give you a talk once in a while kind of a deal and the same is true with you you know and another thing is when I look backwards I can there have been some things people have raved about when I was doing them but there have been some things that people said don't ever do that again or I'm going to commit suicide you know I mean that and I, 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 it's like the counseling thing seriously people have come back after years and said you ruined our lives you know that right yeah, but I didn't like you anyway, so it doesn't really matter to me. You know, uh, not really. But, but God's affirmed some things I've done, and it helps me to know what I should be doing. And the same is true with you. It helps you to get a sense of God's plan for you. You see, please know this. God has been weaving the experiences of your life together to make you ready for his plan to get you in the place that he's created you for. But you have to trust him. And most of us don't. Most of us hear that voice on the, on the radio coming in the tank and we go, I'm not getting out of this tank, man. There are zombies out there. And we don't understand that God has the right perspective to know which way we should be going. We need to trust him. Someone here right now listening or there in Brighton, you're right now listening or maybe even online and you just need to know that it doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel right. It feels very wrong, but he's right. Your feelings are wrong, and you need to trust him to get to the right place. You need to trust him. And if we're going to discover God's plan for our lives and truly live in his perfect will, once we look within and once we look back, then we need to look forward. We need to look forward. Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. We have to realize that though we feel despair in our lives, going forward, God only has hope planned for us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I'm telling you, we can tell a lot about how God's designed us and created us by, by looking forward, by, by asking questions like, what, what are my dreams? What are my dreams? What, what do I feel compelled to do? What, what can't I shake what can't I shake? And the, I'm, I wasn't built by my family, by my heritage to be a pastor. My dad was an attorney and was actually investing in me to follow him in that. And, but yet when Christ changed my life, when I went from the walking dead to the spiritually alive, I'm going to tell you that I was just compelled to be a part of 
something like this, telling people about Jesus. And I, I, the thing I couldn't shake in life, and it's really odd, I had never been a part of a big, big church. I had never been a part of a church that had been reaching people. I had been a part of dead churches and irrelevant churches, and I didn't even like church. And, and yet when I came to faith, I had this compelling vision for a church like what we're experiencing here at Northridge right now. And there aren't many of these. It's weird. Where did that come from? It wasn't from my experiences. And I believe it came from how God shaped me. Even when I was the pastor of that church of 18, I had this compelling desire to, to see a church like this. It's weird. And in the church I was at before I came here, I've been here now, I'm literally in my 25th year, but when I was in that church at that time, it was a church, of, it was a town of 5,000 people. Right, so Northridge is like on a given weekend double the size of that town now, and it's like it was a town of five thousand. We were running two hundred when I went as pastor, and and when I left, we were running about six hundred. And everybody, I mean, everybody who came into that church—that's over ten percent of the town, right? And so everybody would come in. Isn't this too big? Isn't this too big? Isn't this too big? Isn't this too big? And I'm going, no, man, this is teeny. We've got to grow. And I'd stand up on the platform and I'd go, I'd go. I see the day when thousands of people are driving for miles around to come here and experience Jesus and find Jesus and impact the world and they'd be sitting there going, no! And I, it was then, I have the gift of discernment that I knew that maybe this wasn't a good vision for that particular church. And, and I, I, I realized I had this compelling, I couldn't shake, I couldn't stop myself, so I had to make the wise choice and leave that environment, and I, Roxanne and I started praying, Lord, take us to a place where you can fulfill this in us, where you can do in and through us what you've shaped us to do, and, and 24 plus years ago, he brought us here, and, and the thing is, I, this is not a surprise to me, not because I'm somebody, I'm not, I just knew he, he put it in me, let me ask you a question. What's he put in you? And you know what most of us do because we live like zombies? We just follow everyone else and we never do that unique thing because divergent. I'm going to tell you, no one, when I came to pastor this church, no one, no one believed this could happen. No one. But see, that's how God works. He does what no one can do and no one can believe. And the reason many of us don't ever experience is it because we're unwilling to take him and trust him. We're just like zombies following the world and it's killing us. If we're going to ultimately discover God's plan for our lives and live it out, then, then we need to look within. We need to look back. We need to look forward. But we also need to look around. We need to look around. And by this I mean we... We, we can't get lost in our own little world because even though I'm looking within and looking back and looking forward, I can, I can be distorting what I'm seeing and, and that's why I need other people around me who can help me to see more clearly because sometimes I'm self-deluded. Look at Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Most of us aren't willing to let other people speak into our lives because we're afraid they might speak what we don't want to hear. But the truth is, if we don't hear from them, we could make a forever mistake in our life. We need to look around and have other people speaking into what we think we're experiencing and what we think God has for us. I, great, I, uh, there was an individual who literally saved my life ministry-wise. I was absolutely bored. Remember the landscape guy I talked about and how he was in difficulties and he was bored and so he wanted just out even though he was gifted for that. Well, I was in a church in Naples, Florida at the time and for three and a half years and it was an agony because God had me there more to build me than he had me there to build the church and it was an agonizing period of time for me and I wanted out just like that landscape guy did and, and I started looking for escapes but because I was a pastor I had to have a spiritual escape route, right? Mine couldn't just be any escape route. I had to have a spiritual escape route. And so I came up with this. And I, I wasn't smart enough to know what I was doing at the time. But, but I, I, I decided it would be really cool to become a missionary. A missionary is someone who takes the truth of Jesus into foreign places. And I thought it would be really cool to become a missionary and go into Eastern Europe, which was owned by communism at the time. And man, be a point man for Jesus in a world of darkness. I thought that would be really cool. Better than Naples, Florida and a bunch of 90-year-olds. You know, that kind of deal. 
If you're 90, nothing wrong with you. But a whole world of 90-year-olds, seriously, who's going to fetch things for us, right? So it's like, I didn't like that world so much at the time. And, and so I thought, I'll be a missionary. And I made application. Roxanne and I were headed towards it in training. And I asked a friend of mine, a spiritual mentor, someone who was in my look-around category. And, and he's 30 years older than me with lots of experience. And I asked him, would you fill out a reference for me? And he said, absolutely. And he wrote me and he says, I, I've sent you photocopies. This goes along with paper roadmaps, photocopies. <laughs> At least it wasn't mimeograph. Uh, but he sent me photocopies of, of his reference forms. And he said, Brad, I want you to know I've given you the highest reference I could give to any person. I believe in you. But I have a word of caution for you. He says, you are intending on going into the mission field where all of your ministry will be private. You will be behind the scenes working at reaching one person and another person and then releasing them to public ministry, but you will not be able to go public. And he says, I know you and your gifts are all public ministry gifts. You're meant to publicly teach and publicly lead, not go one by one behind the scenes in private that's not who you are and God would never call you to a ministry that's contrary to his design and man it just set me back because I wanted out and so Roxanne and I kind of put that thing on hold started praying and we realized this guy saved my life because he said if you do public ministry here in America like God's gifted you to I believe God will do something through you that will make a bigger impact around the world than if you go around the world yourself and you know he was right and I'm telling you it's a scary thing to have someone speak into your life because they might speak exactly what you don't hear but want to hear but if you don't have them speak into your life you can make big mistakes and so we look within and we look back and we look forward and we look around and then and this is the foundational point, we look up. We look up. When we're lost in the tank and we can't see where we're going and we just know we're in serious, serious trouble, we need to look up and know that God's there with a plan, that he has the whole perspective, that we can trust him. Look at Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. It's simply saying, God, you've given me this roadmap, but I can't even really understand it. I need you to help make sense of it for me. Where am I at and where do I fit? And what am I supposed to be doing? Help me to understand myself and you and the world. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to everyone without finding fault and it will be given to him. Every single one of us lacks wisdom. And God has said, all you have to do is, is admit you lack wisdom and ask me, and I'll pour it out liberally into your life. And so if we're going to discover his plan for our lives, we have to humble ourselves and say, God, I need your wisdom. I need your help. I can't do it on my own. I need it. But if we're going to look up and really hear from God, many of us look up, but we don't hear from God. And it's because, first of all, we don't know him. If we're going to survive in our world, if we're going to truly discover his plan and live his plan, and when we look up, experience him, we must know him. Look at John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We have to know him. We have to hear his voice. We have to be going to him. And the truth is, most of us are trying to do what we want to do because we're zombies following the crowd instead of turning to him saying, God, what unique thing have you made me for? I'm not supposed to be like him or her. I'm supposed to be like me. And what does that mean? If you and I will stop competing with each other, we will be able to start helping each other and encouraging each other. And if you and I stop competing with each other, that means we'll be able to start living out the plan that God has for us, which means we'll finally find what we're looking for. But we have to know him, do you? And if we're going to ultimately truly hear from him, we have to... We have to trust his word. If we're going to benefit, remember you have to shine the light on your choices. It's not just enough to know. You have to then shine the light on each choice or you're going to make a mistake. We must trust God's word. Like Rick did with Glenn, he trusted that his perspective was better, that each thing he was saying to do was right. That's what we have to do with God. And I'm going to tell you, almost every time God directs me in a big way, it feels wrong 
but it turns out right. I have to trust him. You have to trust him. Look at Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Your understanding's incomplete and finite. You don't have the right perspective, but God does, and you need to trust him, even when it doesn't feel right, even when you don't get it. Many of us are Christ followers, and we're really messing up. We're really living zombie-like lives because we haven't yet started trusting him. Can I just plead with you? Start trusting him. Because though it sounds strange and weird and you're not comfortable with it and it looks risky and dangerous and you might never be like other people are, all of that's okay if you become who God's created you to be because as Paul said, my life's worth nothing unless I do what God's assigned to me. You've got to trust him. And some of you are here who don't yet know Jesus because you have a hard time trusting him. It doesn't make sense to you. And I get it. Look at I, I had a whole I had a hard time with the faith deal. I had a hard time with it. But until I was willing to put my trust in him when I didn't understand everything, I wasn't going to experience him changing me. And I'm telling you, I'd never go back. And this is what you need. And so before I give you the last application, I'm going to invite you right now to bow with me in a word of prayer. And I'm going to encourage you, Northridge Brighton, you know, engage this as well. Those of you watching online, just bow with me in a word of prayer. And if you're a believer already, you should be talking about these trust issues that you have in your life with God. But if you have yet to trust him, stop leaning on your own understanding and take this step of faith. I'm going to pray right now and I'm going to invite you to take my words and make them yours quietly in your heart to God. Just say, God, I need you to direct me. I need you to guide me. I need your plan. But first, I need to know you. And so, though I'm not used to this, I'm going to put my trust in you right now. I've sinned against you. I, I've, I've done my own thing. I'm spiritually dead. But Jesus, you died on the cross so that you could forgive me. And you rose again so you could make me alive. I'm trusting you to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before I give you the last passage and the last application, if you just prayed with me here or in Brighton, I just really encourage you, take out the program we gave to you. And on the back is a connection card. It's easy to rip out. All you have to do is fill it out. And then on the bottom... Check that mark that says you prayed with me. And then as you leave, there are boxes at every exit. Just throw it in there and we'll do the rest. We put together a letter of next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. But we just need to know. So get us this connection card and we'll do that for you. If you're watching online, hit the what next button. We'll do the same for you. A couple of things on this. You need to start with a good foundation. And so I, I, we have this thing called Starting Point. A new set of Starting Point groups are coming in the end of April. And uh, there in Brighton and here in Plymouth, in our lobby, you have the Starting Point group people there that can answer your questions. Please sign up for that. Also, I do Discover Northridge. It's a way to build a foundation of understanding your relationship with God and how church can engage you in that. And it's coming up. And I'd love for you to sign up for that and spend a Friday evening with us as well. And, and if you have a need for some questions to be answered or you'd like someone to pray with you after this service is over, we have a prayer team that would love to meet with you. And so as everyone else is leaving, all you have to do in both of the settings right now, Brighton and Plymouth, is just come forward at the end and sit in the front when everyone else is leaving and our prayer team will come and engage you. We'd love to be a part of your life that way. But here's how I want to end this particular weekend of the zombie apocalypse series. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, everyone who, who hears these words and actually then lives them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. There are two kinds of people here right now. We're all hearing God's truth as it relates to this issue. Some of us are going to live it, practice it. Others of us are going to choose not to. Here's the problem. We live in a world 
where storms are always raging, where we're constantly under attack, where the walking dead are all around us. And if we're going to survive and live, we need to build our life on the rock. And I just encourage you, don't just hear this weekend. Live the truths of this weekend so that you can live God's plan for your life and live the life that God designed for you. But if you're going to do it, you have to know where you are. Make the Bible your roadmap. You have to see where you are. Shine the truth of God's word on each choice you make, on each step you take, and have a great plan, which means stop making your own plans and start looking for his. Would you please stop following the crowd and being like everyone else, and would you start looking for the unique plan that God's created you, and you do it by looking within and looking back and looking forward and looking around and looking up and when you look in the right directions and then you trust God with his plan you experience life even in this zombie apocalypse world and that's my hope and my prayer for you have a great week we'll see you next time